Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. Sheila Zelensky. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Sheila Zelensky Show. I have a fantastic program, but before I jump into the program, I want to announce that Technogeddon, the book, is now available. The pre orders were available, but now you can find it if you go to SheilaZelinsky.com and click on books. Just go up to books on the menu, and it is fantastic. I'm really excited about it. I think it's a very timely book, and I think it's going to have a huge impact. That's Technogeddon, subtitle, The Coming Human Extinction. Again, I am really excited. This book has been about three years in the making, and boy, oh boy, I think you're going to be amazed. I don't think there's a more timely book. Listen to what Dr. Michael Lake has to say about it. My good friend Sheila Zelinsky is one of the many prayer warriors that the Holy Spirit is speaking to today. She has spent many years researching the plans of the enemy and has prayerfully sought answers to overcome their advanced tactics of warfare. I encourage you to seriously and prayerfully read Technoget and allow the Holy Spirit to show you the things that you need to address in your own life and prophetic ways to assault the gates of hell to win the souls of humanity to Christ. That's Dr. Michael Lake, author of the Shinar Directive. Let's see what Steve Quayle has to say about it. In her book, Technogeddon, The Coming Human Extinction, Sheila Zelinsky effectively lays out the ominous technological matrix of darkness engulfing our planet. Her book reveals how transhumanism, robotics, AI, genetic engineering, and the resulting hellish hybridization of humans could soon cast us into spurious enslavement and death. Zelinsky efficaciously unmasks the iniquitous directive that started in the Garden of Eden and is thrusting us back into the days of Noah. Find out what every believer needs to know in the twilight of human history. That is, the acclaimed researcher and prolific radio talk show host Steve Quayle, author of Terminated Xenogenesis and Genetic Armageddon. So you can order the book today. Both the digital copies and the paperback are now available. Just simply go to SheilaZelinsky.com. Just go up to books on the menu. So yeah, please do get a copy of Technogeddon and bless somebody with a copy of it. It is such a timely, fantastic book. So I do hope you get your copy today. And you can also find it if you do a search in Amazon Technogeddon. Also, I'm asking people, because this is a listener-supported show, I'm asking people to please support this ministry if you are not already supporting it. And those that have the means, would you please get behind this ministry and ensure that this broadcast stays on the air. Airtime has gone up. A lot of things have gone up. And it's been a very challenging year for me, I must say. I am asking for your support. If you could go right now to SheilaZelinsky.com, go to Donate on the menu. We've made it very convenient for people to support the program, including Cash App, Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, 
And I would really appreciate those people that would become a patron over there on my Patreon. And we do have some perks coming in July. Those will not be available to the public. You can also donate by check or money order. Our California address has changed. I am not in California. So please make a note of that. This is where you can send check or money order to Sheila Zelinsky Ministries. P.O. Box 83120, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. The postal code is T5T6S1. I really appreciate your support now. And I also want to thank my loyal supporters. A big shout out and a thanks to you. And please, because of the censorship, make sure that you stay in the loop right now by going and signing up for our free e-newsletter. We send out updates and great guests and fabulous shows. We try to get one out once a week. So please make sure you stay in the loop as they're taking me off more platforms. Go to SheilaZelinski.com and you scroll down on the homepage and you can sign up very easily. Just put in your email and you will stay in the loop. Well, I want to jump right into the program today. My guest is Dr. Danny Morano. So Danny, welcome to the program. Where I want to jump in is I was absolutely blown away. Of course, all year we see this theme of people standing with Israel and a lot of people talk about how they support Israel and how we've got to stand with Israel. And it really occurred to me with a post where I think I had over 500 comments in a post. And all I said was, what is it that you stand with Israel on? Because I really think the lack of understanding on this topic is absolutely head scratching to me. And I think it's a really important topic because there's not a lot of people that even understand when they say, I stand with Israel, what do they mean by that? What do they think that Israel is? And so I was just absolutely blown away by the comments. That's what made me really think that we had to do a show on this because it is just mind-numbing the misunderstanding on this topic. And really, you'll not get two people that agree on this at all. It is all over the map. So this topic is very important. The lack of understanding is what's it's profound. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, but this is, again, just like we're dealing with the other scam, the other PSYOP. This is nothing new. This is just that with the backdrop that we have now, it's, it's becoming, you know, more obvious. I like to try to find the positive in, in, even in negative scenarios. I think it's a positive thing that a lot of the circus doctrine, okay, that's coming out is being able to be seen a little more for what it is. And people are able to question things more because this is thrown up against the backdrop of all this other craziness that's going on. People are actually able to question things. So, of course, you have in all those crazy comments you mentioned people that have been, I'm sorry, but predictably programmed in this regard, no differently than they've been predictably programmed in uh, everything we're seeing with this COVID-19 situation. It's really the same phenomenon. It's just a different element of the script. I don't think it's just a distraction. I think it's part of the Novus Ordo Seclorum agenda. I think it's part of the New World Order agenda. This fake modern Israel, state of Israel, okay, under the star of Remphan, this idolatrous counterfeit, along with, you know, these people that I also see, you know, overall, again, not every single person, but I'm going to say overall, these imposters, 
that have been brought in under this Kabbalist scheme, okay, that was hatched a long time ago, and it's running parallel with the other scheme of the Gentile side of the coin, all right, when it comes to the whole Antichrist thing that's running there with the, with the Gentile side of it, with, you know, with all the, the demonic banking magnets and, and all these pseudo-scientists, okay, all of a sudden they're scientists and, and all this. This is all running parallel, okay, with the demonic roots of this modern state of Israel running parallel with the demonic roots of the United States of Apollo or Apollyon, the seat of the beast, I believe is in both of these modern phenomena, these two nations that are being worshipped and exalted as God's nations by, yes, very naive, gullible, and ignorant and programmed cultural Christians. This is what they've been taught by Many of their shepherds who are schizophrenic, you know, on one side, they're believing supposedly in the God of the Bible. They talk about the Judeo-Christian ethic, okay? And they claim to worship the Jesus Christ of the New Testament. But they also are standing with the Masonic doctrine of the manifest destiny dream of the New Atlantis, whether they realize it or not, whether they're actual active Freemasons, okay, and Illuminists posing as Christian pastors and teachers and leaders, or they've been predictively programmed by those who have secretly infiltrated, particularly the American church. But I think the root, really, and, I, and again, I would encourage the people who listen to this, if they haven't heard that, uh, that teaching from Mr. Terrell, they should give that a listen for those details because it was just fantastic. I mean, he just broke it down. He took you back from the very, he started in Genesis and went all the way through past the Balfour Declaration and it was just fantastic. So I would just encourage people to listen to that. I want to hit it from another side and that's where you mentioned, Sheila. And I think the real issue, which you know from my ministry and the ministry that we've been doing together for the last decade together. The question is, which covenant are you under? Which covenant are you under? And are you in the flesh or are you in the spirit? Because that's really the root of things here. We can go and we can be Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson. We can, you know, put out a bunch of facts and show you where these evil people are doing all these machinations. But you know what? The blinding is a spiritual thing. The scripture says, it's interesting because it says, Paul talking about Israel, the Israel of old, the physical nation of Israel, he said they have been blinded, right? So that the Gentiles may receive the gospel. They were blinded because of their unbelief. It also says in the New Testament, the God of this world has blinded the minds of men that they should not obey the truth of the gospel. And that is the situation. And anyone who really studies the spirit of the new covenant that Jesus ratified in his blood, and we're going to look at that hopefully here, the new covenant that Jesus ratified in his blood is a covenant in the spirit. It is not a physical land covenant. It is not a covenant with a physical geographical nation. 
or ethnic people, or even a physically chosen people who are given a national identity in the flesh. This is not the message or the mission of the new covenant that Jesus ratified in his blood. Jesus did not come to bring back the prominence and the glory of the nation of Israel. I think that's clear to anyone who looks at at his ministry. All throughout the Gospels, we see this attempt by the people to force Christ to take on the identity of a natural, physical, Davidic Messiah. In other words, like King David coming to, and like the Maccabees, okay, coming to conquer the Romans, conquer the pagans, the Gentile nations, overcome them by physical force, okay, and set up a restored kingdom of Israel, in other words, nation of Israel. Jesus made it clear that that was not his mission, not only in his words, but in his actions. And I mean, we see it very clearly. He was betrayed by those who either did not believe that he was who he said he was, or were disappointed by the fact that he did not meet the expectations of what they were looking for. And I'm, I'm sorry to say it today, but I believe that many who are claiming the name of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth is still disappointing their expectations because their aspirations and their desires and their warfare and their battle is a battle of the flesh. They want a king like other nations. They want us to see a physical kingdom. And Jesus did not come to bring that to the true people of his body. Jesus came to create a new spiritual race. Okay. And this is the message of the new covenant. Jesus came to bring to bring to birth a new supernatural spiritual race. And that is not a restored nation in the Middle East called Israel. And it's not a counterfeit Christian system called the church. It is the called out people that have been born again of the spirit from on high, the ecclesia or the echinoia, the called out ones. This is a spiritual nation. First Peter chapter two tells us very clearly. First Peter chapter two, verse five through nine tells us very clearly that we are a spiritual nation, a peculiar people, people that is a phenomenon, a mystery. And we are called of all nations. And I want to look at some scriptures today, but God said that he would make a new covenant. When Israel failed, when the physical Israel failed to keep God's covenant that he made with the first physical nation of Israel to whom he gave the law through Moses, and he made those promises through that, the, that covenant, that first covenant, they failed. They did not meet the conditions, and God canceled that contract. And this is what no one is, is understanding or being willing to accept. He canceled that contract in his providence, knowing that he was bringing the Messiah and that the Messiah was going to fulfill a greater and higher vision and purpose for a people of God. And that is the new covenant, the Israel of the Spirit, of whom there is no Jew nor Gentile. 
no barbarian nor Scythian, no nobleman nor slave, no male nor female. We are all one in the spirit in Christ. So if we look at, for instance, Jeremiah, God prophesies this. You mentioned Jeremiah, Sheila. He prophesies this through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. I'm just going to read it very quickly. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Now listen to this language. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Listen to the language. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So we know what covenant he's talking about there, right? The covenant that was given to them and made with them according to the law that was given to Moses. Okay, it's clear. He made that covenant with them when he took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. But now listen to the next line. My covenant which they broke. I want you people to hear this. This is speaking of the initial physical called out. Yes, called out, but in the flesh. In, in the Hebrew, it's kahal. Kahal means in the Hebrew, called out, set apart. Very akin to the Greek ekklesia, which is for the new covenant people. So God had the same modus operandi, so to speak. He had the same MO of having the people set apart for himself, but under the first covenant that he made through Moses, it was a physical covenant. It was a land covenant. It was a natural covenant for a natural people for a natural end, okay? So that's the first difference. The new covenant, which we'll look at momentarily, is for a spiritual people, for a spiritual end, and is located in the spirit world, not in the natural physical world. And the land that the new covenant believers inherit is a heavenly kingdom, okay? A spiritual and supernatural kingdom, not a piece of land in the Middle East. Okay, so my covenant, which they broke. So we see two things. Number one, that there's a difference here. It's a physical covenant for a physical people and a physical land. But secondly, even being so, they broke that covenant. They were not faithful to the terms of the covenant. What happens when a contract is not honored by one side? Well, it it's in default. That contract is null and void. It is no longer valid if one of the signers reneges on his commitment to fulfill the agreed upon terms. Are you following me, people? So God kept his, his word, of course, always, right? Like he told Abraham, the father of this physical nation, Okay, he told Abraham, I can swear by none other than myself. There is no greater than I can swear. I swear by my own name. I, I actually make a circular covenant with myself. I include you in it, Abraham, and those who will come from you, 
but I have to actually secure both sides because I'm the only one who can be trusted ultimately, all right? But he made this covenant with this physical people, and they broke it. So now God says, even though I was a husband to them, so that was a physical bride, right? We talk about the bride of Christ all the time as Christians. This was God's bride. Israel was God's bride under the first covenant. But she was an unfaithful bride. And the scripture says it all through the prophets that Israel was like a whore, whoring under every green tree. She was unfaithful to her husband. She, she, I mean, he uses very, very vivid, descriptive language about the unfaithfulness of a woman in his, in his analogy. When God describes Israel's relationship to him as a husband and God divorced his wife. He divorced his bride under the old covenant. Now, verse 33 says, but this is the covenant which I will make. So now we're seeing two different covenants. It's not the same covenant because there are those who speak, well, the covenant was fulfilled. It was renewed. It was restored. No, we see here two different covenants. He says, not like the covenant which I made. That's one covenant. And then down here he says, but this is the covenant. These are two different covenants. So what is the covenant that God will make with the house of Israel after those days? I will put my law. Remember, they were given the law outwardly. Yeah, Moses had it written down on scrolls, the ceremonial laws, the national laws, the purification laws, all those things that the people had to follow, and the moral law, which is what most people are familiar with. We call it the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. The moral law was on stone. In that covenant, everything was outside of man. The tabernacle was outside of man. The law was outside of man. The sacrifices were outside of man. Everything was outside of man. But look what God says here in Jeremiah. This isn't New Testament, people. This is being prophesied by an Old Testament prophet. For the foundation of the ecclesia, the called out ones to Christ, is built upon the apostles and prophets. So the prophets were already preaching the gospel. So here Jeremiah prophesies from God, I will put my law within them. You see the difference? Within them. And I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see the difference between these two covenants? What was done first, everything was outward. Everything was physical. Okay, everything was outside of the human being. But God says, I am bringing a new covenant and everything in this new covenant now will become inside the people, not outside of the people. All right. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. This is why the initial physical national Israel lost God's favor, and he divorced them, because they worshiped the gods of 
the heathen nations. They worshiped, they turned away from Elohim and they turned their worship to the Bene Elohim and to the Daimonim, the fallen angels and the demons, the gods of those Nephilic nations. And they mixed with those wicked nations and they became unclean. So God divorced himself. But again, here's his promise. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, watch this, and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. What's God talking about the heart of stone? Well, he's making again an analogy. The law was written on stone. God is saying no longer will I write in this new covenant. I will not write my law on a piece of stone for you to read and follow in the strength and power of your own will and flesh. But I will actually put my spirit within you. I will take out that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. You hear that? This is a completely different covenant. Everything's about within you, within you, within you, not outside of the believer or not outside of this new spiritual Israelite. Everything is on the inside. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my ordinances and do them. You will live in the land that I gave to your fathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. So these things were prophesied and we can look if we have time in a minute. And this is why I'm striking, you know, I'm laying the ax to the root of the tree. Some people might come on here and they might want to hear a bunch of all these details about the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the Balfour Declaration. And it's great to know all those things. I study those things and I have those things in my, in my, those arrows in my quiver, so to speak. But what is the real root for the true disciple of Christ? What is is it that a true disciple of Christ is to understand that keeps him from going down all these false little deceptive paths? It reminds me of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where he kept going down all these different, being led away from the straight and narrow road into all these little paths. And this is the way I see a lot of, you know, professing Christians today. And that's because they're judging things after the flesh and they're looking for god's deliverance and power in the arm of the flesh and as we talk about so much sheila they love this world and what does the apostle john write about in his letter concerning the love of this world he says if you love the world you're the enemy of god if you are a friend of this world and you look toward this world for your hope, for your future, if your investment and stake for your well-being, for your future, and even for that of your children, because we hear this a lot, well, I don't want my children to grow up in a world like this. I don't want them to inherit this world this way. Well, is this world your inheritance, disciple of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? See, that's, that's the fallacy right there, is that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. When he was confronted about his messiahship, because the concept of messiahship 
was absolutely an affront and a threat to Roman hegemony, to, to the Roman authorities. That's why Pilate posed that question, because that's what Jesus was being accused of, saying he was the Messiah, he was the chosen one, he was the Son of God, he was the awaited deliverer of Israel. This is what he was being accused of, and this is what he was brought before, ultimately, the Roman authorities for, for insurrection, for being a rebel and an insurrectionist. So Pilate confronts him and says, so are you the king of the Jews? If Jesus was coming to restore the physical land of Israel and kingdom of David and Solomon, and that was his mission, that was his open opportunity to declare that. He, he has all power. He could have done it. When they came to take him in the garden, he said to Peter, put your sword away. Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels right now to deliver me from these human uh, forces if I wanted to? So he had the power to do it. And he told Pilate, you will see the Son of Man coming with all power and glory in the clouds with the angels of heaven. So he had that power. Why did he not declare the state of Israel? Or why did he not prophesy? I will build the state of Israel. No, what did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. Listen to this. This is why my servants do not fight for me in an earthly manner, because my kingdom is not of this world. Let's look at this new covenant real fast. I think it's very important. Matthew chapter 26, the Lord's Supper, okay? The night he was betrayed, verses 26 through 29. I'm going to read it. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. Now watch the language of the new and better covenant is the translation of the original language. This is my blood of the new. He doesn't say this is I am restoring the broken covenant. He doesn't say, I am renewing the covenant that your fathers broke with my father. He doesn't say that. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is being poured out for many. There's the prophecy of the Gentiles, not just the Jews. My blood, which is being poured out for many as a substitu substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day. I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Notice the language here. He doesn't say in the restored kingdom of Israel, in the restored, revived nation of Israel. He says in my Father's kingdom. What did he say about that kingdom? My kingdom is not of this world. This was so important, it was recorded three times. It's recorded again in the book of Mark. This is my blood of the new covenant. My blood which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
again, he in Luke records the same thing. I have earnestly wanted to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, this is interesting because the Passover, yeah, the Seder that many Christians are all excited about and are celebrating, they want to go back in a sense under the old covenant and, and, and be a Jew again, okay? So here's the Passover, but what does Jesus do with this Passover? He tells them, I am the bridge to pass over. When you drink this blood, when you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have passed over into a new covenant. This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant ratified in my blood. This is what true disciples of Christ, and I'm going to be honest, you know, a lot of people that may be listening to us right now, will not get this because they have not been born again of the Holy Spirit. They're still in the flesh. They're still trying to keep the law. They're still trying to, in a self-determined, self-assertive way, earn the points with God for their salvation and under whatever system they are under. If they're trying to keep Torah and keep Sabbath, and, and do these Jewish things, okay, and, and celebrate these Jewish feasts and celebrate the Passover and all these things under the old covenant, which Jesus also said, do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets, right? Because that's what he was being accused of by the religious authorities of his day. He said, don't make the mistake. I've not come to destroy the law and the prophets. Listen to the language but to fulfill them. And this is what Jesus did. He fulfilled the old covenant by being the ultimate Passover lamb. Most of us know this, but do we really know? He was the Passover lamb, right? He was the lamb without spot or blemish, sacrificed on the altar for the sins of the people before God. And it's very significant what he tells his disciples to do. He says, now partake of the Passover lamb. I am the Passover lamb. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. In, in John 7, when he's still preaching, he hasn't even come to this point. He says, you think the bread of heaven is what fell down to Moses in the desert. But I tell you, that was not the bread of heaven. I am the bread of heaven. Therefore, I say to you, eat my flesh and drink my blood. For if you do not eat my flesh, you do not drink my blood, you will not inherit eternal life. Huh? This is the new covenant, people. And this is the foundation that we have to look at all these questions. And if we don't have this foundation, if we have not truly become partakers, as the disciples did that night with Christ. If we have not become partakers of the new covenant, if we have not eaten Christ's flesh and drank his blood and taken the new covenant into us, received the Holy Spirit into us, then we will continue to measure things according to the blindness of of being in the flesh under the old covenant.
Absolutely. And I think the important part of it is, again, what you said about going back under the law. That's exactly what Jesus came to fulfill, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did. And he also came to fulfill the other part of it, which many people may be saying, well, what about the land? What about the inheritance? What about the promised land? What about Jerusalem? What about Israel? The scripture talks about this so much. All right, well, let's take a look at that for a minute. Let's look at this famous quote that everyone's been, you know, everyone's memeing and, and hashtagging and quoting for so many years, okay? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, all right? Let's look at where that comes from in Psalm 122. This was David, and he wrote, most scholars agree that he wrote this psalm. This was the psalm of his entry into the physical capital of the nation of Israel, that yes, he was under the old covenant, instructed and inspired and anointed to coronate, to bring into existence. Yes, he was. Okay, so he wrote this beautiful psalm, and this was for the people to sing and to declare at the coronation of this king and this new kingdom. But again, who was this king and what was this kingdom? This was King David, a type of Christ, a type of Messiah, a foreshadowing of his son who would come later and fulfill what he was typifying in the natural, typifying in the flesh, typifying in the physical, the son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, would come and fulfill in the spiritual and in the eternal. This is just not a long psalm. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And this is what I preach to Christians all the time, Sheila, because <clears throat> they're under the old covenant in their thinking, and they're also under paganistic ritual uh, worship in their minds. They say, I'm going to the house of the Lord. I'm going to church. Okay, this is the house of the Lord. Let us have reverence in the house of the Lord. And they're talking about a church building. Well, when we study the New Testament, we find out that we are the house of the Lord now. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. We house the Holy Spirit in our spirits as the Holy of Holies. Our soul is the inner court. Our body is the outer court, right? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Watch. Do you not know? He was frustrated. Have you still not understood this, Christians? Do you not know and understand that you, the ecclesia, the called out ones to Christ, are what? The temple of God. David was coming into a physical city to sit on a physical, natural, earthly throne and coming into a physical, natural, earthly temple or house of God. But under the new covenant, Paul says, don't you know, don't you understand that it's no longer physical, natural temples or houses of God built with men's hands. That was under the old covenant. 
don't you know that under the new covenant, we are, you are, I am, we together are the temple or house of God. And that, here we go back to Jeremiah's prophecy, and that the spirit of God dwells in you. It doesn't dwell in the tabernacle. It doesn't dwell in Solomon's temple, which was built after this. No, no. It dwells in the temple of the God imager of what we call the human being. Those of us who have received the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we are now God's temple, God's house. And he says, if anyone destroys the temple of God, listen to this, corrupting it with false doctrine, that's what we're talking about, false doctrine, God will destroy the destroyer for the temple of God. Who's the temple of God? We are the temple of God. For the temple of God is holy, sacred, and that is what you are. Notice the focus of the new covenant. We call it the New Testament, all right? But it's really the new covenant. Notice the focus of the new covenant. So let's go back to the psalm real fast. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that is built as a city. See, it's a physical city. It's a physical place that is firmly joined together to which the 12 tribes go up even the tribes of the Lord, the 12 tribes no longer exist, people. They were already scattered. Ten of them were already lost in 721 BC under the Assyrian captivity and occupation. And the other two tribes, a lot of them were scattered through the second occupation under the Babylonians, not even 200 years later, okay? So these 12 tribes, they're not to speak of. An ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for there the thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David, okay? So the house of David is the physical kingdom or nation of Israel. Now he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you, holy city. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces for the sake, watch this, because this is important, for the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be with you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, which is Jerusalem. Now notice here, this was, as I said to you, the kahar. These were the set-apart Israelites. These were the physical children or descendants of Abraham. They received this first covenant. David was not coming into a place called Jerusalem, occupied by a bunch of pagans practicing the practices of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, take a look at Tel Aviv. Take a look even at Jerusalem. He wasn't coming into a place overrun by the Gentiles with all their pagan wickedness. He wasn't coming into a place where demons and fallen angels were running uh, wild and causing havoc. He wasn't coming into a place that was in, that was in league with the other nations that were practicing absolute 
ritual magic and ceremony and witchcraft and Satanism and all these things. And we're in league with the wicked nations and kings of the world. No, David was coming in to this physical Jerusalem as a set-apart king unto the God of Israel with a set-apart people. Do you see the difference? He was not prophesying. And I know this is going to shake a lot of you, and you're going to get very angry, but I'm going to tell you straight. David was not prophesying 2,000 years ahead of time to pray for a counterfeit land of Israel and a counterfeit capital of Jerusalem that was formed by Kabbalist fake Jews and Gentile bankers and warmongers and whoremongers. David was not saying, pray for the peace of this place. In fact, all throughout the prophets after David got you know, the Holy Spirit prophesies he will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. He is preparing Jerusalem as the pit where he is going to call all these unholy alliances together for judgment. So here we have all night fastings, all night prayers. I was blown away even when I went to India, Sheila. They're having all night prayer and fasting vigils, praying for the peace of this rent fun worshiping Israel or Jerusalem. This is not what David was talking about. David was talking about a physical kingdom that God was establishing with a set apart natural and national people at that time under that natural and national and physical covenant. It was not a prophecy looking forward 2000 years ago to a Rothschild creation under the star of Remphan, okay, called Israel. So what does the New Testament say about the Jerusalem that Christ is concerned with and that we as Christian believers should be looking toward? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians already, Galatians 4.26 reads so, but the Jerusalem above, that is the way of faith represented by Sarah, who is free, she is the mother of us all. The Jerusalem which is above is free. She is the mother of us all. Speaking of a heavenly Jerusalem, in the last book of what we call our Bible, in Revelation was shown very clearly, in Revelation 21, that the new Jerusalem adorned as a bride comes down from where? Does it come up from the Middle East? No, it comes down from heaven and it lands upon a new earth and God even creates a new heaven. Okay, so again, the difference between these two covenants real quick. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come, say it with me, for you have not come as did the Israelites in the wilderness to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire, and to gloom and darkness, and a raging windstorm, and to the blast of a trumpet, and a sound of words, such that those who heard it begged that nothing more be said to them, for they could not bear the command. If even a wild animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned to death. In fact, so terrifying was the sight that who said? Jesus said? No. Who said? Moses 
said, For you received the law under Moses, but grace and salvation has come through Jesus of Nazareth. So this was under Moses. This was the physical Mount Zion. I am filled with fear and trembling. Okay? That was all judgment. And that's what was received under the condemnation of the law to those ultimately who did not keep the law. Judgment. But, verse 22, read this when you have a chance, people. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Watch this. Here it comes. The heavenly Jerusalem. Now notice, Sheila, it doesn't say you are coming to or you will come to. In other words, speaking of Jesus's return or in the millennium or after the millennium. No, it's speaking now to believers. This letter is entitled Hebrews. So it was written to Hebrew believers. They were the focus. That means they were Jews, so to speak. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to Christ-believing Jews. You have come to the city of the living God. Watch. The heavenly Jerusalem. Not that Jerusalem that David came to, which was a physical city up on Mount Zion, a hill with physical foundations built with men's hands with a physical, natural king who would go the way of all flesh and die after his years were finished. No, this is an eternal city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem. Who's in this heavenly Jerusalem? And to myriads of angels in festive gathering, and to the general assembly, where there's your word, ecclesia, to the general ecclesia, called out ones, and to the ecclesia, called out ones of the firstborn who are registered as citizens, where? In the United States of apostasy? In the United States of mystery Babylon? In the new whore of the modern state of Rothschild Israel? No, where are they registered as citizens? In heaven. And to God, who is judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, the redeemed in heaven, who have been made perfect, bringing them to their final glory. And here, here's the best part. And to Jesus, watch again, stressed again, the mediator of a new covenant. Huh? Not the mediator of the old covenant, not the mediator of Moses' law and covenant, no, the mediator of the new covenant, uniting God and man, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of mercy, a better and nobler and more gracious message than the blood of Abel, which cried out for vengeance. Okay? I just I'll end with this and then we can discuss you. I just want to show them something. But they're the seed of Abraham, the Jews. Are the children of Abraham. They're the seed of Abraham. These physical Jews in the world today who claim lineage to Hebrew roots and Jewish bloodline, they are the seed of Abraham. And, and the scripture says in Genesis 12 and so on that, you know, God will bless them who bless the seed of Abraham. All right, well, let's look in the new covenant who the seed of Abraham is. Galatians chapter 3, this is the Apostle Paul 
speaking. A Jew, he got upset with the people. He said, don't talk to me about being a Jew. I am a Jew. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Don't talk to me like I'm some heathen Gentile who knows nothing about the covenants. So here he is. Brothers and sisters, I speak in terms of human relations, even though a last will and testament is just a human covenant, yet when it has been signed and made legally binding, no one sets it aside. Now, the promises in the covenants were decreed to Abraham, watch this people, and to his seed. Now, this is very, very important because very esteemed teachers and supposed prophets and apostles and blah, blah, blah today are preaching that there are two people of God, two peoples of God. There are the Christians who are the Gentiles and there are the Jews who belong to the seed of Abraham. Well, what does the apostle Paul say, who was the apostle sent? to the Gentiles, sent directly by Christ himself. He said, my gospel I have not received of men, but I've received directly by revelation of Jesus Christ. And he sent me to the Gentile, but he was a Jew. All right. So what is this Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees, converted miraculously? What does he say about the seed of Abraham? Does he say that there are two peoples? If anyone had the opportunity and the motivation to declare two peoples of God, Paul had that opportunity and had that authority to do it. But what does he say? He says that now the promises and the covenants were decreed to Abraham and to his seed, singular, to his seed, singular. God does not say, and to seeds, plural as if referring to many, but as to one. And to your seed, watch what he says next, the singular seed, who is the seed of Abraham, people? This is the key question that you need to get the right answer to. Who is the seed of Abraham? And to your seed, who is Christ? The seed of Abraham is not the Jewish people, the seed of Abraham is Christ. That is the seed that God promised Abraham. This is what I mean, Paul says. The law which came into existence 430 years later, after the covenant concerning the coming Messiah, does not and cannot invalidate the covenant previously established by God so as to abolish the promise. Okay, let's skip down here to what it means to us, okay? Christ is the seed of Abraham. Now watch this, verse 25 of chapter 3. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the control and authority of a tutor and disciplinarian, for Paul said the law was a tutor or a teacher to bring us to Christ, but now we've come to Christ. Verse 26, for you who are born again, have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, and are all children of God for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is now no distinction 
in regard to salvation, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you who believe, watch this, are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, here it is, we're coming home. And if you belong to Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed or descendants and spiritual heirs according to God's promise. Do you see that, people? That includes all who receive the Messiah as their Savior, whether they be Jew, whether they be Gentile. There are not two different groups of people. And those who see themselves, this is first of all a misnomer. I don't see myself as a Gentile Christian. I am a son of of God. Jesus said, he who believes in me, I give him power to become a son of God. He doesn't qualify it, a Gentile son of God or a Jewish or Hebrew son of God. All the same people. There is one seed. The gospel was preached first to the Jewish people and the first fruits of that harvest were the Jewish believers initially. And then the gospel was taken to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles who believed were grafted in. And Paul gives a whole sermon that I don't have time for in Romans 9 about how the Jews, if they believe in Christ, can also be grafted back into the tree from which they were cut off if they were not in Christ. We all have the same inheritance in Christ. Those who are in Christ, who have been born again of the Spirit from on high. We are the seed of Abraham. It has nothing to do with physical national citizenship and a newly formed counterfeit state of Israel formed in the Middle East in 1948. I'll leave it to you, Sheila. No, well said. I think we've laid out, you know, a pretty compelling argument on this whole topic, Danny. And very quickly, also for people that might be new, just happen to tune in, give out your information so folks can find your handiwork. Godisnotreligious.net is my website. Godisnotreligious.net. You'll find a lot of my books. I've written about many of these things that we've spoken about in, in some of my books. You can also find, of course, a lot of the teachings there, videos and audio teachings and, and courses. Also, we have a God is Not Religious Facebook, and we also have a fellowship group that meets on Saturday evenings, Easter Standard Time from 8 to 10 p.m. And it's an open forum and an open fellowship. If you're looking for fellowship in this crazy time when all the churches are being persecuted and shut down and so on, you can find that fellowship online. Uh, also, there's a YouTube channel, God is Not Religious. So you can get in touch with me through all those means. Excellent. And I've got all that information linked there in the description below. I want to thank Danny for coming on the program. We are out of time. Thank you so much for tuning into the program tonight. We'll see you real soon. Good night and God bless you.